0: You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. podcast. This podcast is from our series, Life in the Body, presented by Julie Coleman, author and member of New Hope Chapel's teaching team.
1: Well, good morning. Um, I'm Julie Coleman. I'm part of the uh, teaching team here at New Hope Chapel, and um, I'll be speaking this morning on bearing one another's burdens. Many, many years ago almost too many to count at this point. My husband and I were involved in a church that went through a real tough time. Um, The elders were studying the role of women, which was a very, very volatile and controversial issue. And word got around that they were studying that role, and and, um, people who were very conservative on that issue and that were really determined that nothing ever changed at our church. got wind of the study and they got very worried that something was going to happen, which it wasn't. But anyway, um, at one of the elders' meetings, they showed up in force, about 20 people, and they were hot. <laughs> and they demanded that, you know, that nothing change. And, 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 you know, those new people who want change, who, by the way, had been there about 20 years, um, were, you know. That, you know they, they need to leave. We were here first. You know That kind of an attitude. Uh, my husband came home from elders meeting that night very late. I was getting worried about him and almost gray in his complexion because he said, I feel like I just got hit by a tornado. Uh, the elders weren't expecting that. And then that following Sunday, that was when things really started to turn for the worst. Um, you could see the division in the church on the issue from one side of the coffee room to the other. Um, and and uh, a lot of terrible things got said and done in the process of several months. And um, eventually, the one church that was looking for um, a little bit, uh, some change on how the church was handling the issue, went off and started their own church um, and um, and tried to do it with the, the church's blessing. It was kind of lukewarm at best. But anyway, the church they started is about 850 people strong now. So God bless their efforts. But um, the thing I wanted to share with you about that whole event, as, as damaging and terrible as it was, was there was a, a girl um, that was coming regularly to Bible study. Her name was Kathy, and she had a husband, um, and he um, was not a believer, but he had started attending church with her because he saw her sincere commitment to the Lord and wanted to find out, you know, what was that, that was all about. Well, after all these things happened and all these evil things were done and said, and both sides had fault, believe me, I, I hope I'm not... Conveying anything where there wasn't there was sin in both camps. But um, she, one night we were standing outside talking after meeting, and she said, You know, she said, My husband had been coming and was really starting to get very interested in what was going on here. She said, But then when all this came down, she said, He said to me, None of, uh, Christ doesn't make any difference in these people's lives. They're acting just like any other person would act. Um, I think the whole thing is bogus, and he stopped coming. Um, So he lost interest in the church and ultimately God because of the way we were treating each other. Now, his disillusionment with God shouldn't really surprise us because, like it or not, we are God's chosen vessel to reveal himself to the world. Paul wrote in his letters to the Ephesians, You are fellow citizens with the saints in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In this present age, God has chosen to primarily reveal himself through the church. And how do we reveal him? Well, I'd say a large part of that is in how we treat each other. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So when we work together and and dwell together without grumbling and disputing, we are revealing God to crooked and perverse generations. We shine like lights in the world if we treat each other um, the way we should. Jesus even told his disciples the night he was rested, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, if I were to ask you, what would, what would you think to how the church should reveal God to the world? You might come up with something like this, and these are pretty popular. Have a really clear message of the gospel. Everybody needs to take evangelism trainings. So everybody has their... their uh, Witness all set up and the perfect answer ready for anybody who, who asks or doesn't ask. <laughs> or maybe the church should be in there feeding the poor doing some other benevolent work. Or maybe they, the church should be somehow involved in the community, making their presence known. That's how we're witnesses to the world. But all of those things, while they're all good, I'm not criticizing them, of course. They're all good, but they become meaningless if we fail to be godly in our relationships with each other because everybody knows the true you comes out when you're with your family. All the pretense gets put aside, and the world is watching us. So it matters how we treat each other. We're part of the family of God. So we've decided to do, the teaching team, has decided to do a five-part series on life in the body. Scripture has a lot to say about how we conduct ourselves within the body, and there's gonna be five topics that we cover in these coming weeks. Today, we're going to be looking at bearing one another's burdens. Next week, Bill Smith is going to talk about freely forgiving. Justin, um, our pastor, will take the idea of speaking the truth in love. Bill will then cover living in love. And I'm going to wrap things up um, in July with walking humbly. So we hope that this series is going to equip the body of Christ here at New Hope um, to be the kind of community that will reveal God to the world in the right way <laughs> because it's what we're called to do. So let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these um, things that you've taught us in your word that um, we need to do in order to reveal you to the world. And we just pray, God, as we look at um, bearing each other's burdens today, that you would just get me out of the way and let the truth of your scripture um, come through um, I just trust your spirit to guide hearts in their understanding and, um, and guide my words as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, we're going to do three things. First, we're going to start by looking at Paul's injunction in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, which is about bearing each other's burdens. Then we're going to talk about why it's so important that we bear each other's burdens. And then finally, we're going to look at the best way to approach someone to bear their burden, um, as we've been commanded. So let's get started by reading Paul's command to the Galatians. Here it is. Brethren, <clears throat> even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Now before we can even delve into this, you know me, I've got to look at the context. That's my big thing because it's really important to look at the context, in case I haven't mentioned that before. But anyway, Paul was writing to the church in Galatians in response to a problem that was going on. There was this group called the Judaizers, and they were mixing up law and grace, which those don't mix. That's oil and water. Um, And so Paul had this whole argument that's running through the book of Galatians. The first part of his argument, he says, man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith. So law has nothing to do with our justification. That's point one. Then the second point he makes as the book goes on, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. In other words, if we could work our way into God's favor with doing good things, then why did Christ have to die? And then the third part of his argument, he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you not being perfected in the flesh? So in other words, so our salvation comes from God, God's grace. But now that that process has begun and it's a already not yet kind of a process, he saved us but he's also perfecting us. In Philippians 1.6 it says he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So it's an ongoing process. And he says so if the grace is how we were saved, then why are we going back to the flesh in the idea of being perfected and being made holy? It doesn't make sense at all. It's all about grace. Staying on the good side of God does not happen by works. It's always been about grace. Stop thinking in the flesh, he's basically telling them, and start thinking in the spirit. That's where he's headed. You know, that's still something that Christians struggle with today, the idea of staying on God's good side by being good enough. I have to confess, even this morning, I'm driving over here. It's been a very busy weekend. Um, and I had a big dinner with my, my Bible study on Saturday mornings, Friday night. Saturday morning, the um, uh, entire family plus about 20 other people showed up at my house for uh, my, my granddaughter's first birthday party. And then today I had to speak. So I, was, I was feeling a little frazzled getting in the car this morning. And, I, and as I'm driving over, I was like, oh, Lord, I, I, I don't think I, I worked hard enough on this message. I don't think I put enough time into it. Uh, how are you going to bless it? And I thought, listen to yourself, Julie. It's about grace. He's going to take what you've done, and he's going to bless it because he's God, and that's what he does for us. And, but it is an idea. We, it creeps up into our thinking. And, and I'm sure you can identify times in your life where that's been true. But we need to stop thinking in the flesh and start thinking about the spirit. Paul tells the Galatians, we're living in a new law. This time, it's the law of Christ. Um, He said this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We love God and the overflow of that love spills out into the lives of others. And that's living the law of Christ. Well, now Paul in chapter six gives a practical example of how that new law, what that looks like in a practical um, sense. It says, even when someone is caught in the wrong, caught in sin, a person who's yielded to the spirit will address the problem in a spiritual way, not in the way in the flesh. Um, so let's take a look at the very first part of the instruction. First notice Paul qualifies. He says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, uh, we might be, think of this kind of interaction, maybe it should be reserved for somebody who's done like a really big sin like maybe adultery or some other sexual sin or maybe spousal abuse or stealing at work. You know, something we would classify as big. But that's not what it says here. It says if anyone is caught in any trespass. So sin is sin, friends. And and we can't categorize between big and small. Um, The original word is defined in the lexicon as a violation of moral standards, wrongdoing, or sin. It's that same word that's used in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's that word. In Romans 5.16, it's used again, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation for all. That, again, is that same word, trespass. So we're talking about sin here. Now, what are sins that we should be thinking about uh, that he's talking about? Well, he gave a list a little bit earlier. He says idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. There's another bunch of lists everywhere else in his letters. Gossip, unwholesome talk, bitterness, slander. I could go on and on. There's lots and lots of sins. And so... We might not classify what Paul is talking about as you know, you know something we normally deal with. That's when the big ones come along. Not according to what he said. He said any trans- any trespass, any transgression. And you notice it says if anyone is caught. So that means your position in the church, your uh, or in the society doesn't have any. You're all we're on all the same playing field. Elder, ministry leader, pastor, um, congregation member. or all part. Um, on the same playing field when it comes to sin. Well, I have to give a little note of caution here before we go on because we're not being told here to be the behavior police. Um, we need to tread carefully because not everything that we become unhappy with and think that needs to be addressed is actually sin. Um, I have a friend, her, her uh, son was in major rebellion back a long time ago, and he had just come down the street, and he had piercings here and there. And by, back then, nobody was piercing their face, but he had like ears and different things. And then he had, uh, his, he had a couple of tattoos, and then he had these jeans that were like cut all the way down like in slits. And his parents were pretty conservative Christians, and um, you know they felt like his outward appearance was just a, um, an expression of what was going on inside. Anyway... She came down. They were having a terrible time with this kid, and he took them through much worse things than that. But anyway, she came down. I was a gardening in the garden. She said, well, did you see my son walking down the street? I said, yeah, I did. She said, I couldn't believe he we went out in public like that. She said, and I went to my husband, and I said, you know, I, we, do, don't you think we need to do something about the way he's dressing and the way he looks as he's going out in public? You know, what kind of reflection is that? And her husband turned to her, and he said, Martha, is it sin? Is it sin that he wears those pants or has piercings in his ears? And she said, no. He said, then leave it alone. Pick your battles. My husband and I went in my house and told, that was like a profound moment for me. My kids were all very little. I went in the house and we talked about it. And we decided that that was what we were going to zero on. We were going to pick our battles with our children and zero in on the sin. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is we don't want our cultural differences in, in generations and things like that to be something that we're addressing to people because we're going to actually almost create a prodigal by doing that because it's not sin what they're doing. Um, I saw this great quote in a book I was reading called um, Bring Home the Prodigals, and it says, when a group of German Christians saw American Christians with all their gold and diamonds on, they were so shocked they dropped their cigars in their beer. LAUGHTER Don't try to judge someone in order that to another culture might even be accepted. So who is the one that should address the issue with the one in sin? Paul tells us, he that is spiritual, the one who is filled and is influenced by the Holy Spirit. Um, That's us. At least those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, we've been filled by the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of scary, don't you think? We're responsible to bear someone else's burden of sin. How does everybody feel about that? How do you feel about making it your business to get involved with somebody over sin? Not comfortable. That's really outside the box for most of us. Well, now that we've looked at that injunction, let's talk about why it's so important. Give, give us a little better perspective. Is it really worth rocking the boat? Can't I just pretend I don't see it? Do I really have to get involved? It's a scary thing. But there's several reasons why we need to do the hard thing. And I'll just list them off quickly. First one is, it's in the person's best interest for you to do that. Because they're on a destructive path. They're on their way to bad things. As parents, we know our job, a part of our job anyway, is to discipline our children when they sin. Why? Because we don't want them growing up to be terrible adults, right? Right? and embarrass the heck out of us, okay? Uh, We don't want them leading lives that make themselves and everyone around them miserable. So we train them. We train them because of that. It's why God disciplines us, too. Um, In Hebrews, it says, He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And Proverbs, of course, that famous proverb, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. If you see someone careening down a path of dis- and toward destruction, we're crazy if we don't do something about it. Um, so it's because he's only going to hurt himself and all those that are around him. He's going to have uh, destruction. Another reason for getting involved. Continuing in a sin is going to harden their heart. Uh, once it becomes a habit, it's deeply ingrained and it's harder to remove. I was out uh, in anticipation for all these people coming to my house yesterday, um, pulling vines in my many assorted gardens all over the yard. Now, I don't know if you have a yard or if you've experienced vines. I hate vines. They're everywhere. They're in there. Come on. They're like hard to get out. You're pulling things. You're wrecking your bu- the good bush and, and everything. But I can tell you one thing from a week's worth of experience out in the hot sun pulling those awful vines, if they have been growing for a long time, they're way harder to remove. Some of them even get like this woody stem that's so hard, I, have, I was like with a shovel trying to dig around the root to get this, these weeds out of the ground. It was really, really hard work, but the ones that had kind of just started, I pulled them up and shoo, up they came, roots and all. So the longer something stays in, the harder it is to get rid of. It hardens our heart. Um, so it t- tells us in Hebrews, but encourage one another day after day so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because once we start to do a sin over and over, we start to kind of rationalize a little bit. And we start seeing, well, nothing's really happened. I guess it's okay, and, and um, it's, it's a, a bad game that we're playing with ourselves. So continuing a sin will harden a heart third reason for getting involved is that God's will for them is redemption. He's given them freedom from the slavery of sin, but they're still living like slaves under that sin. And so our job is to help them get set free. Um, In Romans, Paul wrote, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But here's the new plan. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you're now under grace. That's what God wants for all of us. And we help our brother or sister when we help them step out from under that burden of sin. And last um, reason is that we are being Christ-like when we bear each other's burdens. It said right there, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Because to bear the burdens of somebody else, that's a divine quality. It's what God does. It's what Christ did for us. And to obey this injunction is to conform to the character of Christ. Paul did it. He practiced what he preached in 2 Corinthians. He says, I have been in labor and hardship, been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So Paul felt that burden of bearing other people's sin. And to not care enough to express a concern is to show a lack of love. Because really the opposite of love is disinterest. So it doesn't reflect the character of Christ in us when we do that. Now, I need to interject one more plea for wisdom here. Um, Are we supposed to jump down someone's throat every time we see them sin? Are we like watchdogs waiting to pounce when it happens? Well, we've got to be really careful about this. And I already talked to you about make sure it's sin, number one. And number two, when do we look to jump? Well, here's some ideas, and these are just things I've kind of um, thought about and, and seen in scripture, and, um, and I thought I would just share with, him, with you really quickly. First is to look for a pattern. You know, if somebody does a sin one time, you know, that may need to be addressed right away, but if it's, if it's you know, we all make mistakes and, and, you know, we don't have to jump down their throat. But if we start to see something become a pattern of sin, then that's something where you really have to start paying attention. But even then, we need to allow the Holy Spirit time to work because he is at work to perfect that person and bring their salvation to completion. So we shouldn't just jump right away when we see something, I don't think, until we've given the Holy Spirit time to work something out in them. So what do we do in the meantime? Start praying. Pray for them. Because the power of God is just amazing. He can convict and he can transform and he wants to do that in them. So pray. And while you're praying, ask God for an opportunity that you may be able to flavor the conversation with salt with them and determined to be very sensitive to his guidance in the process. Because, you know, as, as you know, when, and I hope you do as I've, you know, been with somebody that I knew that God was really burdening me to talk to them about. I'm praying the whole time, praying, praying, praying. And sometimes God doesn't give the opening. I had it happen uh, last year, or two years, I don't know. I guess it was just last year at the Writers' Conference. And the guy up front was, was teaching this. He's a wonderful speaker. But his point was really off, and I was like dying. And, and then I'm hearing people talk at the lunch table, and they're all saying, "Oh yes, this and this." And I'm like, "No, it's heresy! Don't think that." And, and you know, and when do you say it, and when do you not? You know, it's not Julie's job to set the entire world straight, although sometimes I think it is. And so I started praying. Well, I happen to have a meeting, an appointment scheduled with this guy, the speaker. Um, and so I was going into this meeting and I, I looked it up in scripture that night and I was absolutely sure that he was dead wrong and so I wanted to go in and talk to him about it but I didn't know if it was the right time if God would have me do it and so I was praying and praying and praying I get to the meeting I'm praying okay God I'm just I'm waiting on you I just want you to give me an opening you know and, um, and, I, and I'll do what you want me to do and, and so he was five minutes late to the meeting which never happens at writers conferences the, the people usually really prompt and then when he came We started talking about this other thing in my my head, I'm going, okay now, okay now, okay now. And God kept saying, no, 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 no. And finally, I looked at my watch, I had one minute left. And I thought, Lord, is this not the time? You not want me to do this? And he spoke very clearly to me and said, you need to email him because you can get your thoughts together better. You can present things in a really good way because I'm way better at expressing good theology in writing rather than me just talking. So I ended up doing that. And I ended up having a very good conversation back and forth with him. There was no hard feelings or anything. And in the end, um, the issue got resolved. But I made my point, and I really um, pray that he took what I said, or what God's truth is, really, into consideration the next time he made that presentation, because he presents all over the country. But we have to ask God for that opportunity and then wait for him to guide us. So we understand the command, we see why it's important, so we need to know when God calls us to get involved. So, if he is calling us, and we really feel strongly about that, the question really is, just how do we do it? This is tricky. This is tricky. But Paul gave us insights right here in the text, and we're going to look at those very quickly this morning. The first is, he says, restore such a one. Now, he doesn't say, rebuke such a one. He doesn't say, convict such a one. He says, restore them. Our driving goal in talking to somebody about an issue, sin issue, is restoration. It's got to be at the forefront of our mind all the time. So you have to kind of ask yourself as you're going into it, do I just want to point out a wrong because he made me mad? (laughs) Or am I interested in this person's healing and ultimate restoration? That word restore in the Greek means to cause to be in a condition, to function well, to put in order, to put to rights, to get them back to where they started, or even actually better to where they started, restoring them. Keeping that goal in mind, having that as your frame of reference as you start the conversation, will keep us from saying a lot of things that we shouldn't. Because if we start by pointing a finger And we're going to put them on the defensive, and then nothing's going to happen. They'll just be mad at you. But instead, we need to think, what would restoration look like if God took this situation and restored it? What would that look like? And then work toward that end. Envision what God can do, then work your part of the conversation toward that end. I'm not suggesting here that we gloss over sin or compromise God's standards. But there's something interesting. Jesus, who was the holiest, of course, without sin, he was somebody that people, sinners, flocked to. They all wanted to be near him, and yet he was holy. So what does that tell you about what he was like? Well, I think it shows us how much love and grace exuded. It came out of his pores. And because of that, people just wanted to be near them um, as... as, uh, unworthy as they felt. I think it's fair to say that when we offend people, that it's not because we're so holy or perfect. We offend people because we've failed to love. So what does love look like? I have this wonderful passage I want to share with you. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's out of um, a translation, a paraphrase called the message. Now, I don't normally go for paraphrases. Um, I'm all about the Greek. But um, in this one, Uh, it just has a really great way of explaining what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. This is what it says. Love never gives up. Love cares for more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Approaching someone with a purpose of redemption means that we're going to approach them in love and always keeping the end goal of their restoration at the forefront. Another tip Paul gives us. He says, bear one another's burdens in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens. What does that mean, bear? How, how How deep do we have to get here? Well, I looked at other places where that same word bear is used in the New Testament. One is, blessed is the womb that carried you. Another one, he says, not you who supports the root, there's that word bear, but the root who supports you. And a third use, placing, this is an ax placing upon the neck of, our, of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Now the yoke, the idea of one supporting another, the womb that's carrying the child, all of those kind of give an idea of a, the bearing as kind of like a alongside kind of bearing, a partnership where uh, you're working with somebody or something else. So that idea of partnership is expressed in these. We're in this together. And understanding that we're both sinners, that grace is what we have in common. Not one is better than the other one. It's an alongside of bearing with that common weakness to sin in mind. That's how we're to approach someone. We're to bear their sins. Our attitude needs to be one of humility. Am I being judgmental? Or am I recognizing that we're both in the same boat? That's the second tip for doing things God's way. The third one Paul gives us is this. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. In other words, as you approach the sin, don't jump into the pit with them. (laughs) Um, You know those vines I was talking about? Well, I found that a lot of them had little pricklies on them and they would get stuck to my socks as I was pulling on vines. And a couple of times, the vine actually got itself wound around my foot. And so when I'd go to try to moved to you know get the stuff into the garbage can. I was using. I would trip up. I fell like five times during the course. Of, thank God I didn't hurt myself any of those times, but because I was always falling into a lot of vines, <laughs> they cushion the blow really well. But anyway, just you know that, that vine would just wrap itself around. I, it would instead of me being the one removing it, it was it was uh, hindering me. And we have to be careful about that. Um, I have a friend. His name is Jeff, and he was. Um, uh, in leadership at a church, and one of the guys on the music team went through this crisis of faith and really started wondering if God really exists and, and, um, and, and what was all this for nothing, and, you know, he went through this thing. And um, he ended up walking away from the faith and to this day still has not returned to the Lord. Well, my friend Jeff was pretty determined to convict him and get him back into the fold, so he'd meet him for coffee and they'd talk and talk and talk and talk. But Bill was very convincing And he ended up planting a lot of doubts in Jeff's mind. To the point where a few years later, and and, and there were a lot of other circumstances that brought him to this point, but Jeff ended up walking away from his faith. And I really believe that how involved he got and how much time he spent on the thing sucked him in. We have to be really careful about that. Paul tells us, don't be tempted by what's going on with that person. And so we have to ask ourselves before we approach, am I arrogant enough to believe I could never fall like this? Or do I readily admit, there but for the grace of God go I? So those are some things, three things to consider if you are being called to go to someone who's caught in sin. So in conclusion, I want to give you one final admonition from Paul. He says this in Thessalonians. We encourage you, brethren... Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, always seek after that which is good of one another and for all people. Bearing one another's burden of sin is an imperative that needs to be followed if we're going to have a healthy church. We need to see sin for what it is, and when we see it in others, we need to ask God's guidance in approaching them, and when we do approach them, it needs to be in love, with the purpose of redemption and an attitude
0: of humility.